0: To the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. Today we have episode 129 with Coach Mark Neffendorf. Coach Neffendorf was head coach at Glencoe High School in Oregon from 1980 to 1996. He was also the head coach, boys basketball coach, at Westview High School from 1996 to 2000. He has an overall record of 436 and 88. He was the state champions in 1990 at Glencoe High School and 2000 at Westview High School. He's five-time Oregon Coach of the Year. He coached in the WBCA National All-Star Game in 1997. The past 40 years, owner of Class of the Field basketball camp and tournaments. He has been a high school principal the last 19 years after coaching. Currently, he is retired. Mark Neffendorf has spent 40 years as an educator in Oregon with the last 15 in administration he serves as a middle school teacher and high school te- a high school science teacher and as a head coach at the high school level for over 20 years in his administrative career he has led three different oregon high schools at S- scapoose ben and recently Tigard high Mark is best recognized as being the leader of change and helping to develop a culture of community that has helped Move the school to greater academic achievement uh, this is going to be a great podcast in a sense that uh Mark has done such a tremendous job, not only in the coaching profession, as you saw with his his overall record of four hundred thirty six and eighty eight but he's done a tremendous job uh as principal of three really tough, tough academic schools. He had to turn around three schools um, who were kind of failing in the academic side. And so forth. And he did a great job turning these schools around, kind of changing the culture of these schools. So I'm really going to pick his brain on how he did this. So let's welcome Coach Mark Neffendorf. Hello, Mark. Good morning, Kevin. Good. How you doing? I'm doing good. And yourself? Good. Uh, I just want to make first connect. goes a little crazy, but I, I can hear you just fine. Yeah, and I, I hear you really well. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, welcome to the podcast. And I, I got to tell you, um, Mike Meek spoke so highly of you, man. I, I And he said, man, you got to get this guy on. And um, after studying, you know, your career and everything, man, you've done a lot in the game. And I really appreciate joining joining me and kind of sharing with uh, what are some secrets to your success and so forth. So thank you for joining me on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thanks for Thanks for having me. I'll see if I have anything to offer, but uh that's nice of Mike. He's he's a really
0: successful coach, Mike is. Yeah, no doubt. He's gonna he I'm telling you, he's doing an amazing job at every level. Uh high school, D three. Now he's at a division one school. I tell you, man, he's he's an up and comer right now. Hopefully he'll get back to his team eventually, like the rest of us. But Mark, kind of tell me a little bit about how you got started. Uh, as a youth uh, in the game of basketball, but also how did that drive you not only to become a great coach that you were, but also an excellent principal and changing the lives of so many kids? How did that start when you were a youth?
1: Well, probably like everybody else that got into coaching, uh, you know, I enjoyed athletics. I played football, basketball, and baseball, and I uh, my dad was an ex teacher, coach, and uh, I. I love being around it so but to be honest with you basketball was kind of uh the third of my sports I was when I came out of college I was going to be a football or a baseball coach and when I got hired they said well we need you to coach a winter sport too so I said well I'll take the ninth grade girls basketball team I don't know why <laughs> I said that but I did right. and uh loved it coached it for two years and then they opened the new high school in Hillsboro, Oregon And I got hired to be the head coach and the other sports just kind of fell away as I got uh, more and more into basketball and uh, loved the direction. And, and so that's, that's kind of how I, I got into it. And of course I got into it like everybody else. My original goal when you're a young guy, I think I was 24 when I got hired is you know, I wanted to win championships, you know, that's what it was all about. And of course, over time, you know, as you grow and mature, you start seeing what the real effects of athletics are, and that's kind of led me into athletics, into coaching, and then into you know being a high school principal.
0: Yes, and I I tell you, I enjoyed reading so much about you, and I uh, you can you can tell obviously your your career record and your success that you had on the as a basketball coach. But I, I got to tell you, Mark, what you've done as a principal—you appear to me. As a person that can come in and completely change the culture of these schools, you've went in some tough situations. Tell me about, like, first of all, why do you love to go around and turning around these schools? And tell us a little bit about, you know, that journey of of being a principal and making changing lives.
1: Well, I I think, again, you learn that through athletics, first of all. Um, You know, like I said, the longer I coached, and I I was only head coach for 20 years. A lot of guys are for 30 and 40, but I think what I uh, learned as I got older is it was the impact that you had on lives of kids and trying to make them successful um, in their life. And so that just magnified as I started to work a little bit into administration and coaching, I was doing a combination, uh, I could see you could have a bigger impact on a, on a bigger group of people, um, you know, than just your basketball program. And so I, that kind of led me into the administrative, uh, part of it, even though it was very, very difficult to give up coaching, um, I I just was hoping I could have a bigger impact on a larger group. So I got into that and and I I think what really helped me is that um I grew up in Hillsboro Oregon almost all my life and I taught and coached there for the first almost 20 years and when I when I decided to leave and try something else I just absolutely loved going into a new situation trying to make an impact and I, I, it almost became addictive. I wanted to do it again. So I went to the next place, you know, the next school and uh, got into administration. And I got a principal job and I spent a few years there and loved it. And you try to make a difference. And I want to go do another one. I, I don't know what it was. It was just uh, kind of in my DNA that I, w- I w- felt like I was a fixer. And, and uh, I wanted to do that. And you did it for four or five years in a place and you moved on. And that's not for everybody. But uh, that's kind of what drove me. So that's kind of how that happened.
0: Yeah, I always think so. I have a lot of respect for uh, principals and administrators. because I know it's a tough job. Um, and I, I think it's there's so much pressure on that. Not only are you dealing with motivating kids, but, man, you have to motivate us teachers and coaches, right, which is a hard job. Give us some secrets on how you motivate. Because Mike has shared with me that you really sat with him and was really direct and honest with him. I appreciate that with administrators being honest with me.
1: Well, I, I think that's the key, right? It's, it's called integrity. And uh, if you can't trust and believe the people that are leading you, uh, you lose that in a hurry and you, and you have no effect. And so what was most important to me um, was that I built strong relationships with people, but those were built on trust they're built on honesty. And, uh, I mean, you, you have to learn how to speak into people's lives, but, um, if you're going to lead somebody, uh, you know, you hope that you get them to follow you and you're not pushing them. Right. I mean, we've all heard that term. And so I think that's built strictly on getting to know people, but, uh, you, you gotta be honest because if you don't have any integrity, uh, nobody follows and whether, you're coaching a basketball team of young gals or guys kids can see right through dishonesty. They can see right through, um, you know, you're not being genuine. And so, uh, that's what I, I always based it on. And I felt like if I was honest with people, um, and that meant admitting when I would make mistakes as well and be real to people, and not, uh, I, it's, it's not like, hey, I'm the boss, you follow. It's, hey, we're all in this together. Let's figure this out. But uh, at the same time, you know, you got to give some direction. So um, that, that's how I always felt at work because that's always how I wanted to be treated. And so whether I was coaching or administrative or even if you're in the business world, uh, I really believe relationships is what it's all about.
0: Yeah, and definitely connecting, right, Mark? You got to connect with people. I think it's right. I mean, you got to really find a way to really connect with people. And that's what I want you to talk about next. How did you know, let's take, for example, Mike Meek. Obviously, this guy is is a great coach. Did you see that in him? Is that why you kind of took an interest? Um, Now, I know he was at a pretty good school and a good program. But what did you see in Mike that really enabled you to kind of try to get in there and try to inspire and motivate him?
1: Well, I think there was a couple of things I ended up, I, I was towards the end of my coaching career and he was beginning and I ended up being a vice principal at a high school and we had the basketball opening. And so um, our principal didn't know anything about athletics. She said, um, <laughs> you know, you, you do the hiring. And I thought, great. And the hardest decision maybe one of the hardest decisions I ever had to make the two finalists for that job were Mike Meek and the girl that was probably the best basketball player I've ever coached. And I'm really close to her. But what I liked about Mike more than anything, uh, his work ethic, uh, he had real drive, totally humble. The guy is as humble as you get. Uh, he listens. He wanted to be better. And uh, he understood the game of basketball, which, you know, you got to have that piece of it too. So what I saw on Mike were those traits. Uh, I watched him when I coached against him. His kids liked him. His parents liked him. Anywhere Mike's been, uh, the kids, the parents uh, like him. They follow him. And uh, and that's because he can communicate. And like any job, you've got to be able to show people that you care about them you know the old saying that uh you got to they got to know that you care before they care th- what you know and i think that was really true and i think mike epitomizes that and hopefully in the jobs i've had uh that you hope people follow you is because they really know that you care about them personally it's that's bigger than the job itself
0: yeah those are all great i mean those are all great points but i tell you what i love is I think in a good administrator like yourself, you see those intangibles. I'm not sure if that's done by a lot of people hiring for coaching jobs. I think they see resumes and wins and things like that. You really look for intangibles. And I think that separates, that's how you get good coaches on your
2: staff, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, um, you know, I don't think any of us particularly like being around people who you can't communicate with, that you can't enjoy, that you can't get to know personally uh, because those things carry over into the people they're working with as well. Whether you're hiring teachers are going to work with your students or you're hiring coaches or assistant coaches, you know, you, uh, th- those are the things that I, it's kind of like when you ask, what are your top five things to run in a girl's, Uh, or a a basketball program, none of those had to do with you got to know X's. I mean, you got to know that stuff, right? X's and O's. But there are more important things uh, to the real foundation of being successful in whatever um, you're running. And so, yes, those are definitely the things that I uh, look for. And number one is relational skills. If they're they're not relational and it's all about them, then I I
0: just, I, I can't use them. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's um and, and can you sense that in a interview? Um or does it take you have to really kind of research and talk to other people? Give me give me some secrets on that, Mark, uh because I, I always want to know how people really hire. Um do they have a sense? It sounds like to me you have a good sense of people.
1: Well, I hope so. I mean, um you know, let's let's say it's an interview whether it's for a coaching assistant coaching position or hiring a head coach or hiring teachers, you know, I have a series of questions. They're not very very elaborate. I just want them at some point they've got to tell me what's most important is uh, using whatever verbiage they use that uh, I care about the kids or I'm, I'm in this business because of the kids. If it's all about, hey, I'm here just to win a championship, I mean, I want to hear that but I want to know how we're going to do it and how they better do it for me is uh, my biggest concern is about helping develop uh, kids, make them grow. And so if I don't hear it in some answers right away, I'll rephrase a question. I'll find a different way to ask it. And, you know, sometimes I know they have it in them and they don't know what, you know, how to express it. And so I'll do some research with people and they'll tell me, Oh no, no, that's how this person really is. So, um, but if, if I can't find some way to find out that they care about kids, uh, care about other people, then it's, at least for me, it's not the right, the right hire or the right person to work with.
0: Right. And that's great. And for all the coaches that, that listen, to my podcast. That's great advice right there because we all, many of us are going to be, you know, hopefully we'll be interviewing again and so forth. I might stay here at my school forever, but um, I think it's great advice for coaches really to go in there and really focus on what they can do to talk about, Hey, how can they relate and connect with kids? Because it's not about the X's and O's because if you can connect with kids, that to me is probably the most important. That's the highest priority, right?
1: Exactly. I mean, I, I've sat down with a few guys that are friends of mine that are coaches that could out X. I mean, I watch some of their X and O's and I go, wow, that is unbelievable. (laughs) But sure. You know, their success rate isn't so unbelievable because, uh, whatever reason the kids have a bought in, they don't trust them. I, I, I don't know what it all is, but, um, all the X's and O's are important, right? And, and what you do and how you fit them with your, you know, the talent of your kids. But um, I, I, I still say the Mike Meeks, the Brad Smiths out here in Oregon, those guys who had really strong relationships with their kids and could motivate because they knew they were cared for. Those are the guys that are successful. It's why Mike's successful. It's why Brad Smith was so successful.
0: Yeah, it's so true. And I, I, I've i spoken to three Oregon basketball legends, Kurt Gilsdorf, Mike, you. And I got to get Brad on. You got to connect me with uh, Coach Smith um, because I love talking to you Oregon guys, man. You guys have something special going on out there in Oregon. Uh, what do you think about Oregon basketball? Um, I don't think a lot of us are aware. And I'm in Georgia and we have good basketball out here. But, man, Oregon high school basketball is pretty dang good, isn't it? Yeah, and it's a little
1: different than it used to be. You know, uh, a bunch of us were young guys when we got started. We all wanted to be head coaches, and nobody thought about We were on the ground level of girls' basketball out here. So we were highly motivated coaches who were looking for, you know, football, baseball jobs, maybe boys' basketball. And because they, you know, back then it was so hard, to, you had to work your way up. You know, it was going to be 5, 10 years to get a head job where now you can come out of high school or out of college and practically get one so you know in girls basketball we had a whole bunch of really motivated hardworking coaches at the ground level and from the mid 80s to just a little past 2000 I mean we'd play national tournaments with our high school team we play our all-star teams and our Oregon kids were as good as any really any state around um That and I think because of our rules that we had out here in Oregon clear back then, you could do anything you wanted in the summer. So we could wow, you know, we, yeah, we we had no limitation. In fact, we had no limitation during the school year. We were working our kids out year round. We we wanted them to play other sports, but we still had some time to work them out. And to be honest with you, I think Oregon we were way ahead of a lot of people back then because they had more restrictions. And that's since tightened up here and loosened up other places and you know, we're, we're not so special from the, from the commitment level anymore. And, uh, but we still have good uh, kids. Uh, it's it's really changed. There's way more of the all-star traveling stuff as opposed right. to when we were doing it, we were traveling with our high school teams and even playing with our high school teams in national tournaments uh, just to get better. And we held some big tournaments, national tournaments out here in Oregon and, We always competed well, Um, but that's changed. Uh, Oregon still puts out a number of good kids for the size of a state that we are. But, um, yeah, it's different. It's just different. The approach is different now. The coaches, the high school coaches, don't spend as much time directly with their own kids like we used to. It's more of the uh, all-star thing, which, you know, has its – I think it has its bonuses for the really, really good kids. I think it has its uh, a, a less of an impact for the kids that aren't on those teams. But so, yeah, we're still proud of what goes on in Oregon, but uh, I don't, I don't think it's quite what it was.
0: Yeah. And it's amazing. Um, of course the university of Oregon women's program has really started to shine. Now you have the best player in the country out there Um but it hasn't been like that for a while. Why now the university of Oregon seem like they're really stepping up. Are they, are they recruiting a lot of Oregon kids or are they just recruiting nationally?
1: Yeah, they're, they're on, they're way more of a national, uh, brand. In fact, I'm trying to think on the U of O team. I don't know that there's any Oregon kids on the U of O team. There's <laughs> been a couple on Oregon state, which is a national brand at this point too. And, uh, But, you know, one of the things, I'll give him a little shout-out, the assistant coach at University of Oregon uh, is a pretty special recruiter. Um, You know, it's Brad Smith's son-in-law, in in fact. And uh, Mark was the uh, head coach – or, excuse me, assistant coach at Oregon State when they got started and did a lot of the recruiting. Now he's at Oregon and does – he does just such a – uh, great job that uh, they bring in a lot. And Kelly's been around, you know. And uh, the way they play, and the yeah. facilities that Oregon has, and you know, they they're they're a national brand, and they're going to be there for a long time.
0: Yeah, when you got Phil Knight kind of backing you, that's pretty good, right, Mark? That's really good. <laughs>
1: yeah, they they don't lack a whole lot <laughs> in Eugene,
0: right. Uh, I think I think all the colleges out here are, I, we live right next to uh University of Georgia in Athens so we're we're right here in, in mid Georgia um and it's it's all about Georgia out here man it's big time um but we're not as good as Oregon though I mean we have a long ways to go coach I want you to talk some basketball I, I love your top 5 cuz I think that I think you have to have a uh, a priority list, right? You have to have a vision of what you're doing as a coach uh, before you start planning your X's and O's. Talk about your top five of your program building.
1: Well, and and you know it's kind of like we've all read books by other coaches, right? The Pat Summits, the Mike Rozes, those kind of guys, and when they write their books about their top w- whatever they are, um, uh, the the things that make them successful. Uh, of course, those could the reason they write those books is even business people or school principals or whoever reads those things and so many of those top five uh you know aren't uh um, you know aren't x's and o's I mean you know one of the things i I always thought was most important is I wanted the brand of our kids to be a certain way and i and that you know I wanted them to be top top-notch kids. I wanted them to display uh, a sportsmanship that regardless of where they were at uh, in the season, a game, or whatever, that it was at as good as anybody's. I wanted them to be able to compete uh, as hard as they could. I wanted them to learn those life skills. Uh, there needed to be discipline uh, from a personal and a um, athletic standpoint so all those things were really important to me so when I was talking vision or um, you know what I wanted my team to look like I I wanted them to represent us in a top-notch way when they were on the basketball court and when they were off and uh, that was more important to me than wins and losses although I knew those attributes led to you know wins and losses um, you know, we talked a little bit about relationships. I think that's important in building trust. And I also think you got to get the right people on the boat or the right people uh, on the bus, as they say. Uh, one of the philosophies I always had, you had to be able to cut your best player. If your best player uh, doesn't fit into what you're doing and can't, uh, you know, can't act and, and perform and do the things you want them to do, then they can't be there. Because the, uh, the, uh, larger group is more important than, than any, uh, one person. And then hopefully you, right. you, you as a coach set the example of hard work and outwork people and you want your kids to. So those are just, you know, some of the things, uh, before you ever got into, uh, even talking about the style that you would play, or. Uh, um those are more important to me about building a basketball program and and you know when you say building a bar- basketball program I'm talking about from you know third grade up or, or whatever um, not just your varsity kids so uh yeah those those are some of the foundational things that I think that are that are important um trying to build a basketball program,
0: yeah, and you mentioned also uh you had- you had you have to have high expectations for everyone in your program and and you have to hold people accountable, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. And that's kind of how I use the example of you gotta, you gotta have the courage to be able to.
0: Hey, this is NBA skills coach, Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball. And I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google play and app store today.
2: Hello, this is Craig Reed, owner and CEO of Corny Board Aids. We specialize in providing coaching aids and equipment for the basketball coach. We are also home of the Corny Board, the original sideline coaching board. I want to recommend Championship Vision Podcast. It is a great way to get insights into what other great coaches and leaders do in their programs. Kevin Furtado brings a great tool to coaches with this podcast. Thanks, Coach Furtado
1: cut your best player. So, I mean, that's drastic, right? That's at the end of the road when you can't work something out. Some somebody has got to go, even if they're the best, but that doesn't happen to most kids. Um, But, you know, a lot of these kids in their lives have uh, people surrounding them that can give them those things, but there's a lot of kids that don't. And our job is to be able to uh, hold kids accountable personally and athletically, to help them grow. And, uh, you know, uh, if they do, great. And if they don't, then, you know, it's time to cut them loose and just say, hey, look, it's not that I don't love you. It's not that I don't want to help you, but I can't. And so here's the consequence. You know, you're not going to be able to to be here. And uh, the, those are the drastic ones that happen often, but you got to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, your culture drives your whole program, right? Right, Mark. I mean, you can't have kids on there that um, are bringing everybody else down, but I, it that's hard to do because there's pressure. There's pressure from administrations, from parents. Yeah, right? it, exactly. And it and I got to tell you, uh, it it hasn't gotten any
1: easier, right? With parents, <laughs> no, yeah, it hasn't. hasn't. <laughs> it has not. The expectations of parents and them. Uh, getting all the accolades and scholarships and all those is is gone off the charts anymore. And so yes, it's harder and harder. But that's the I do think the most successful coaches are the ones that have the courage to stand up. And like I said, when you have a vision or a plan, you don't deviate. And when you go, this is what I expect out of our kids, and that they can't do it, I'm not going to have to deviate. I, I'm going to have to excuse this person or whatever, because culture, as you said, is number one. Um, it's number one on a uh, an athletic field, a court. It's number one in a school. It's, it's, and if you listen to all these other great coaches, college coaches, they'll tell you it's number one in their programs and even in business. So, yeah, I'm, I totally buy, buy into that. And hopefully that that's what was the backbone of our program.
0: I want to ask you a tough question because you've been an administrator. You had to hire coaches, probably fire coaches as well. When, if you know a coach is really going through all those five and really building great kids but is not winning, what do you do as a principal? Because I know that's a lot of pressure, particularly these days. And I'm sure back when you coached as well, when does that decision, I mean, he's, he's doing everything he can, he just doesn't have the talent When is when does that decision come? Hey, we got to make a change. That's I know it's a tough question for you, but I really would like to know your insight. Yeah,
1: I mean, I've been in all those situations and, uh, you know, I I had the experience of being a coach. And so that helped me as an administrator. But if they if they're doing all the things I'm asking them to do and uh, they're doing the best of what we can do of what we have. If we're reaching our potential, wins and losses don't do not come into play for me in deciding who's going to be a coach, stay, not stay that doesn't happen when we can't get to the potential the best potential of our kids um because I was a coach and because I built relationships with people, I tried to work really hard sit people down talk to them, give them suggestions. Here's what I think we ought to do. And if it got to the point where you just, uh, th- this person just isn't going to be able to get it done, you know, then you uh, respectfully, um, you know, put somebody else in there, but that just didn't happen a whole lot for me, which I'm glad, but I, I had some issues, especially at my last school that was a high poverty school. We weren't going to be successful, um, and parents would come in, and you' got to be able to sit down with the parents and say i got I got bigger goals for these kids than whether we won or not, and uh, our coach is getting the job done, and he's going nowhere, so that's just how we're going to do it and So, I think it helped me, having experience being in athletics and being around coaching to know when to pull the trigger and when not to.
0: Yes, you think that's vital. Um, another tough question is: is that a principal? I guess if you don't have experience in athletics or haven't coached, I think it's important for administrators to have some type of coaching experience because athletics is a big part of school. What's your philosophy on oh, that? Oh, that's, that's
1: I'm a hundred percent behind <laughs> you. Now,
0: if I, I would say this, yes,
1: I I, I wish every principal had athletic coaching background but we just know that's not going to happen so my recommendation right. though, would be to any administration if you're the principal and you don't have that background hire somebody as a vp or somebody on your administrative staff that can give you the background uh on those kinds of decisions be, because i i just i get really discouraged watching Good coaches get let go because parents have put pressure put pressure on administrators who don't know enough about what goes on in athletics, and then they end up removing them. And uh, that's that's really frustrating and disappointing.
0: Yeah, and it, I do think it's happening a lot. As you will know, you've probably seen it a lot too. I think that's something that we need to change as a profession, uh, but it's hard to do. I guess you got to do it. You know one, You know each individual school at a time. Hey, you've had a great overall record. Your record's unbelievable, man. I'm jealous. 436 and 88. You won two state championships, five-time Oregon coach of the year. Tell us, I want you to talk basketball with us because you you won a state title at Glencoe and Westview. Tell us how you would build an offense and defensive system because there's a lot of coaches that listen to me and they want to know, hey, they got a they got. They're coming into a new situation. How do they build an offensive and defensive system? Well, so, from yeah. the ground so, up. So,
1: um, knowing uh, what I know now, uh, you know, I've been out a. I've been a principal the last twenty years, so I haven't. Uh, but I watch <laughs> basketball very closely, and and it's changed so much from when I when I was coaching. We played the game offensively from inside out. And even though you still do with sure. offenses now trying to get to the rim and get to the foul line and all that, ours was feeding the big person, right? Post person with their back to the basket. And when they collapse, kick it out and shoot. And, you know, that's, that's what I, I knew. And now with the whole dribble drive and uh, screen on ball screens and all that kind of stuff. I do there's some real uh value to that, as uh, you know I'm taking the three instead of the mid range jumper i you know that's probably the way to go where kids they've got better skills now uh puts more pressure on people uh but I watch a lot of high school kids that uh you know can't do that, and uh, so what do you do i mean you've got to do whatever is best for your kids and that's a little hard for me to say, well, here's what you ought to be doing. I think you still base whatever you're doing, uh, for sure offensively, um, on the type of kids that you have. And uh, so I'm probably not going to help anybody in a, in a big way on that. I get the analytics, the three-pointers, and the at-the-rim shots, as opposed to the mid-range. Um, and if you're a really good high school team, you can do that. If you're not a really good high school team, you know, you're going to have to find other ways just to try to score. But, um, you know, defensively, I still always believe this. And Mike Meek, uh, I, I, here's what I love about him. He's been at the high school level. He went to D3 level. He goes to D1 level. And he, he's pressure, pressure, pressure from in line to inline. line. And people right. say you can't do that anymore. <laughs> I still think I still think you can do it. I still believe in that. Um, I still believe in, uh, pressuring full court. Uh, I still believe pressuring in half court and, uh, I'd rather somebody put the ball on the ground than stand and shoot a three if the team's good. So, but you still have to be able to defend even with a three pointer from inside out. You, You still can't let people just get to the rim and score all day long. And I still believe in that. And, uh, you know that's probably kind of my basketball philosophies i've been out of it for a while if i went back in it those would still be the you know the, still be the way i'd try to figure out how to how to play the game
0: yeah i was going to ask you if you came back today and you probably you probably would love to do it probably only for a year cuz i know you, it it's it takes up a lot of time and so forth but i always love when i when i listen to coaches um that I've coached back in the 70s and 80s. I love talking to you guys because I really don't think the game – I still think the game can play inside out, even though I use the three-point shot a lot. um, I'm curious to find out if a team who shot no threes and just played the inside, the double low post, the mid-range, how far they would go. I I really like to test that, particularly at the high school level. What adjustments would you make though? If you came back today, would you actually include the three-point shot a lot? Would you go more oh, no, of an inside? no, I'd
1: include game? the. I would include the three-point shot. I think with the inside, and what I would do a little differently, you know, now because the defense is spread out so far, uh, I probably wouldn't have a double low post, even though that's what I used to do. I'd probably have you know four out and one in. Uh, uh like they're doing now and open up the driving uh the lanes and uh shoot more threes the difference what i would do now is i i would have a single low post and we'd be shooting more threes you know it was important us back in the day mm-hmm. that we were in a little tighter so the feed to the post was a little quicker and they could turn and get the ball up quicker you know now because they're so spread out you can throw them in and let them play butt ball, right? They can back down a little bit, do a couple, you know, spin moves and then sure. put it up. So you'd have to train the posts a little different and uh, take your threes. No, I wouldn't I would not be it's it's I've watched it develop. There's all kinds of especially girls in even high school that can shoot threes and shoot them well. So um, yeah I don't know how far you'd go with uh, double low post and feeding it down there. Uh, I guess if you were, I guess if you had two real studs, you could still do it, but um, I I don't think you'd eliminate the three.
0: Absolutely. And I, uh, what we do, we have a big six foot girl. So give me some help here. We have a, we we're a four out one in team, but I tell you what I love doing, Mark, is I love, I have a really good guard that's going to be playing at the next level. I love putting her down in the post because guards cannot guard in the post, right? So we do a lot of that. We kind of we make we have them cut through and then post. And to me, that's an easy way to get inside. I'm totally you with that? that. We used to
1: do the same things. We we had a couple, you know, six foot guards that could really jump. They could really had moves down there. And I totally with you. Who who spends a whole lot of time teaching their guards how to go down and defend a post? And so sometimes that can be (laughs) really, uh, you know, easy gimme. So uh, I, I love that concept. And um, I think, I still think anytime you can get a layup, you can take it. And if that's what it is to get a layup, uh, take it. And uh, so, yeah, that works. Use it.
0: Yeah. And I'm not sure if we're doing a good enough. I, I include myself in this is, we got to become better uh, – right now, it's it's hard to develop a back-to-the-basket player. Kids nowadays seem to like to face up better. And I've been talking to Mike about this. It's hard to get kids to – you know, I mean, you know, your drop steps, your, your power moves. Man, they seem to just kind of shy away from that. I mean, we have to do it, but we have to really coach kids up in the post. Yeah,
1: it, it- – I'm with you. I watch young kids coming up now that are six three, six four at the ninth and tenth grade level, and they don't want anything to do with going down below. They want to, you know, they want to stand outside and shoot the three. And so it, it is. And um, you know, those that are versatile and can do both obviously have a um, big impact on a on a game. And uh, it's different that that part. I would have to uh, probably adjust to a little bit. Um, yeah, uh, I, I know exactly what you're saying,
0: Coach. Talk to me about um, putting together a coaching staff. Everybody thinks it's really easy. To me, that's the hardest part: is to get loyal, dedicated coaches on your staff, particularly at small schools. Give me some advice there. Yeah, you might have to give me some advice. <laughs> that's, a, you know, that is a tough <laughs> one. I had it easier.
1: Like I said, I've been out 20 years back. Uh, and but I've had to do the hiring, right? I've had to hire head coaches and try to help them find assistance. That is really, really hard these days because there's less and less people that are dedicated to wanting to spend the time, especially as assistant coaches. Um, you know, they don't want to put up with the fundraising that everybody has to do now. They don't want to put up with the parents. The priorities are different than they used to. Um, I don't know that I have any real advice for anybody. It's, you're just really, really fortunate when you can find people who fit your philosophy, who want to work that long with you and are loyal and dedicated to the program. Uh, it's hard to find them. So I, I, don't, I don't have any advice on how to find them. You just hope if you do get them, you can hang on to them, but hard to do.
0: It is hard to do. I've, I actually, um, this is what I recommend for I've been coached. This is my 30th year of coaching. And uh, one of my former players is now my assistant this year. Talk about a blessing to have a former player. Now, not everybody can do that. Do you think it's a principal's responsibility to go out and not only help the coach get good people on his staff, but to hire really good people, not not just good teachers, but really people that can help and be a good, solid assistant. They don't have to be really knowledgeable, right? But they can, they're really good yeah, with the kids. Yeah, I,
1: I mean, absolutely. I mean, you, it's, it's why we were talking at the beginning of this program, how do you find the right people to hire? And uh, it'd be nice if they knew a lot of basketball and could really help, but they can learn that. It's the other skills that, that you really uh, need to find. And I do think where principals can help coaches, it was a philosophy of mine to get as many coaches on staff as I as I possibly could, including assistant coaches, because those are the ones that spend the most time, develop relationship with, with kids. They they always are there to give back to the school, and that's how you keep them. Right? You got a job for them, and uh, so I was really big into that. And I think it helps with your participation after school, uh, cause you build a lot of relationships, you get them in after school, but, um, it's, it's hard to find. Like we said, Kevin, it's hard to find anymore. It's hard to get the right ones. And boy, if you can, I I'm with you. If you can ever get an ex player who is loyal to you and love the program, wants to be there. What a blessing that's gotta be.
0: It, it's so, it's so true on that. And we, um, I mean, I mean, she remembers it's funny. We're on the same page, but the same token, she is not afraid to tell me, Coach, this is not right. And I love that because I don't want to, I don't want a yes person helping me out. I want somebody who's going to give me the truth. And she's really good. The kids, she really connects with the kids great. Um, And I coach girls. So I think having a good female coach that is loyal to me is really
1: important. No question. Just finding somebody loyal can be, You know, be tough, that's really exactly <laughs> that's really uh the number one thing in your assistance and wherever you're at is that loyalty
0: that's so true coach i want to talk about feeder program because i would imagine at Glencoe and westview you had really good feeder programs tell us because i know mike meek spoke about his kurt Gelsdorf spoke to me about his at Oregon city. Talk about two great programs, Southridge and Oregon city. I mean, he he was working with their kids, you know, when they were really young, that's important. You better have a good feeder program, right. To kind of build a a successful uh, and I
1: think that's a little bit of the difference between now, I don't know everywhere outside of Oregon, but it's uh, for whatever reason, it's harder to run feeder programs now in Oregon than it used to be but our our program basically was from the 3rd grade up and we yeah we had great access nice. with our grade school teachers they were great uh you know i grew up in town so i knew a number of them and and they would help us but um we did some other things we during the basketball season it took a lot of work and our kids helped a lot but we would form uh 3rd 4th 5th and 6th grade basketball teams at the grade school level by their school and bring them over to the high school at Glencoe on Saturday mornings. And they'd play the other grade schools in town, which we had about, I don't know, 10 or 12 grade schools at the time. And so we'd play, they'd play two games a day for like six or seven weeks. And then, you know, we'd run summer camps like everybody else and have some clinics. And and then our seventh and eighth graders, they were in the middle schools Uh, but we were responsible for them. They had cut the funding for them. So, you know, back then I could find people that um, really wanted to coach them, that wanted to be a part of it, and uh, we put in a lot of time running it. But, uh, you know, you start with a lot of kids, right, and by the time they get to the varsity, you're down to five, six, seven seniors. And uh, so there's a lot of screening and hopefully you keep a lot of those kids by the time you get there and uh, they've learned your philosophies and your uh, skills and all those things. By t- that's, To me, that's the only way to run a uh, program that's consistently successful.
0: Yeah, I, I, like out here in Atlanta, we're in Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I've been working hard to build an online basketball school to help players and coaches. I'd love for you to check it out at puresweatbasketball.com.
2: Hi, I'm Alex Stevenson, athletic director and girls basketball coach at Dodd City. I've been at Dodd City for seven years. During those seven years, we've won seven district championships, been to six regional tournaments and three state championship games. I'm a huge fan of this podcast, what it brings and the platform that we're able to share knowledge and wisdom on and, and grow as coaches.
0: The small single A school. And Mark, I I'm very fortunate. I teach K five PE. I know all these kids. So I, you know, I have you know, I have I connect with all of them. So it really helps me in my feeder program when I run my camps. So but there's a lot of big schools out here in Georgia that um, i don't even think they know their feeder teams um but the really good ones they really connect they're they're out there connecting with those kids really working with them it yeah, sounds like that's what you I
1: think there's a total do. correlation between consistent um, you know championship level play as com- compared to once a while you get a great group that comes through and you have good teams and we always wanted to consistently be able to play at the top level. And that, and the only way to do it is through hard work and developing your younger kids. Now there, I don't know much about Georgia, but I, I know in some of the other States uh, we got to know the Northwest and some of California, some of those schools would just get transfer after transfer after transfer and you know, they were fortunate and they could have good teams every year because kids were transferring. But if, if you're going to develop uh, in your district, a Consistent successful program, you're gonna to have to spend some time with your younger kids.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And and this this is kind of off the topic a little bit. What do you think? Because out here, the transfer rate is unbelievable. People are moving all the time, and it seems to be a problem nationally. I don't think it's a good, I don't think it's a good situation that when kids are transferring, there's kids that transfer from school to school to school. Uh, first of all, why is that happening? And secondly, could that lead to major problems down the road? Just on being loyal well, to I think an organization. That's a
1: really good point. And I, I think especially in girls basketball, maybe in boys too, but mostly girls, what happens is it's hard to find good coaches, committed coaches, and a lot of programs just keep turning over their coaches, whether it's they can't, they don't hire the right one in the first place or the administration isn't supportive. And so parents, I, I'm not backing up transferring at all. I'm totally against it, but I've watched and I kind of understand sometimes when a really good kid gets into a really bad situation and they hey, I, you know, For the betterment of our kids, some parent goes, I'm moving them over here so they get some better training or whatever. Um, I don't like that, but I get it. Um, So there's kind of two sides to that a little bit. Uh, I I think from the life lesson perspective, if you're good enough, regardless of who's coaching or what team you're on, they're going to find you. You can find summer programs to play on that are going to help you. I don't think you need to move. But I, a little bit. I I've watched some that, yeah, I kind of understand why they're moving. But to be a big problem, I go back. I think the perspective of parents is is different and way out there more than it's ever been. And uh, they they take drastic measures, thinking that their kids are going to be rewarded by college scholarships or whatever else it is by by moving. So. I like the life lesson part of it more, how to deal with adversity and grow through it. But, uh, you know, that's not what everybody feels.
0: (laughs) That's a good point. No. Um, And I think it's happening on the travel circuit too. I mean, I have, I have players that we actually, we have our own travel team. So, but we run it a certain way, but my best players on a Nike elite team um, and they're, they're picking up players all the time. I mean, it's crazy. So, what do you think about now? What's going on, Mark? There's no travel ball. Kids have to actually go out. Check this out. They have to go out like you and I did, out to the driveway, and start practicing. (laughs) I mean, it's almost like it's. I mean, it's like it's like foreign to them. Um, Do you think now kids will get better by getting out there on their own and practicing in the front yard?
1: Kevin, I've always felt like you know we got into we got into a societal type of situation where because we have all these um so-called experts on the side and i can pay for my kid to go get help and then we have all these teams that everybody pays to to try to get better they'd rather do that than just go out and learn on your own and uh and i i think there's some real, um, advantage to just going out and playing like we used to play and figure out what you can do and how to, without so much structured instruction all the time. And so I'm totally for pickup games and let them play and let them figure out Stuff is has really changed, and it costs them so much money to do it, which is interesting. So, yeah, I'm 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 for the hey, yeah. go get the ball and go get your friends and figure it out. But that that's old school.
0: That is old school, and I think um, I think I, I had a coach tell me the other day. He's a trainer. He says. He, he loves teaching the old school, that method of getting in the driveway, but also the new school with the, the video analysis. Kids need feedback these days. For some reason, kids have a they struggle on learning on their own for whatever reason. I think it's a big part of how they're being taught, to be honest with you. I think you have to let kids go and figure it out. We talk about that a lot in our practice. Yeah, that's,
1: that's where I'm at. And, and, uh, you know, we all can be too controlling probably in some of our coaching, but the kids who are really, really good, you know, they figured it out between the years how to play. And uh, um, sure, they may need – I get the analytical part of breaking down maybe their shot or how to help them on some skills here and there. But I, what I'm talking about is learning how to play, developing. I, I think there's some real advantage just letting them go.
0: Yeah, and I think for us coaches, you know, we have to facilitate, right? Right, Mark? I mean, we can't be telling them every single second, but that's another podcast, right, on how to teach correctly. And I, um, I'm i sure you have your own philosophy on how you teach your kids. Talk about my final question is is practice. I think your great coaches can run a great practice. I think, I think all – if I walk into Mark Nevendorf's practice, I can tell in the first 10 to 15 minutes – what your program's about. Are you I agree totally to agree
1: with to that. Yeah. I think if you walk into somebody's practice and there is uh, high intensity, uh, kids are focused, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of standing around, regardless of what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're practicing skill, running plays, whatever. Um, you, you've a uh, focus and intensity, a work ethic, uh, whatever you're doing. You can see that the minute you walk in and if you walk into somebody's practice and they're working on shooting and the girls are standing there talking to one another and flipping a few up and moving around um i i don't believe you get better that way i don't i don't think the practice is structured to be as good as you should be if you got a lot of kids that they're sitting down which i never let anybody sit down if they're Uh, mentally you can see they're not into it because you're not coaching your whole team. You're just coaching some people, you know, a few of the the starters or whatever Uh, practice is ineffective. Your team's not going to be as good. So Kevin, I'm totally with you. I think you can go watch a practice and within minutes tell somebody's running something that uh, is uh, positive uh, is they're, they're getting corrected. They're getting better. Uh, yeah, I totally believe that.
0: And really, no wasted time. I mean, there's there's always going to be wasted time here or there, but don't you believe that when those kids cross the line, then it's time to uh, go to absolutely. work. Absolutely. Right?
1: And uh, you know, we've all had the days where I've even done this, where I've had the days where, okay, it's not it's not mattering what I'm doing, no matter what's happening here. This just isn't working. Uh, I'll just send them home. I'll just say, okay you know, see, let's (laughs) try this. And and I mean, they know I'm not happy when you do that. It isn't like, Hey, this is a reward and uh, the good teams want to be there, but we all have our days, but um, yeah, if if we're not going to be productive, we're not going to have it either. So uh, yeah, totally think when you cross the line, everything else is out the door. We got two hours, two and a half, maybe one and a half later in the year or an hour, but whatever we have, you've got to be totally committed and into this so we can get better
0: give me a great practice and i, I know it's probably it might be tough cuz you haven't you haven't coached in a while but i know you know how you ran your basic practice give us give us us coaches some advice on how you ran your practice at Glencoe or westview and just give us a couple of good drills that you would even use today that you well, used in the past um, this might be
1: not quite the drills, but kind of the system. I mean, we, we every day came in after letting them, I had them get warmed up for the first five minutes on the own. then every day we went straight to, you know, shooting, working from the short shots all the way out fundamentally. Then we broke down and went into our skill groups, posts on one end, guards, outside people on another one, working on whether it's the ball handling, moves, feeds, post moves, so we, we always, especially with the girls, always felt like, um, you know, there's gotta be some breakdown and some repetition and get better and better at the skills. Cause one of the things when we talked about vision, I wanted, I wanted our kids when they're on the floor, I wanted them to feel prepared and they were fundamentally as good as anybody else. Now we weren't, you know, any better than Brad Smith's team or Mike Meek's team, but I, I didn't want us to be, uh you know, less than somebody else. And then we'd move in, you know, to the other stuff. We Whether we're working on our pressure defense, uh, our press break stuff, working down into our half-court stuff. And then as I got older, we, we spent a little less time on the breakdown stuff and a little more time on the full-court stuff and just kind of letting them go. Uh, I think, at least for me and some of my friends, I think we're always a little more controlling when we were younger, instead of just letting them play. So, um, you know, inside those, there, there's drills, certainly ball handling drills and shooting drills. But um, that's kind of how, I don't think my practice uh, deviated from that very much in 20 years. That, that was successful for me. That's how I ran a practice. And of course, when you're in the middle of the season, you're gonna use part of your practice, maybe to get ready for the opposition um as well but we use a lot of game tape I mean we filmed a lot of stuff we broke it down for the girls a lot wanted them to see it it wasn't analytical uh you know from the statistics as they do nowadays but it was certainly breaking it down so they could see it and understand what was good and what wasn't good so that that was kind of our kind of practice
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I love what you said, because I think there's still, I mean, how much individual work, and I've spoken to a lot of coaches, and there's so many coaches feel like the best way to teach the game is five on five. And I know you still got to break it down for individual skills. But I hear more and more coaches talking about, hey, you want to learn how to play the game, and you can stop it and teach but they need to play as much five-on-five five as possible. Everything has yeah, to be game-like. Yeah, I think right. so.
1: I, I really do. And I think it's, uh, again, as we mature as coaches and start seeing, it goes back to what you were saying about should they just go out and play or do they have to be, you know, broken down into skills all the time? I I finally realized after a few years of coaching that, hey, I'm, I got them doing exactly what I want, but then they get into a game and there's some things that come up that, You know, maybe I didn't do a good enough job on. So those started to become more familiar as they just played, and so I'm I'm way more into letting them go and would be now. Um, With as you said, there's got to be some breakdown, especially for girls, and making them understand. But yeah, totally. I think it's uh, I I think that's where it's at, and they got to know how to play and be able to react on their own.
0: So when you're teaching, it, let's say you're going a five on five coach, and you're teaching, do you stop and and really talk them all through it, or do you just are you very short and quick to the point on how you teaching? And um, okay, so I'm, correct, I'm kind of in between. I, I can't stand letting mistakes
1: go because if they do it, they didn't get. It. So I stop it. I might point it out real quick, and we go again. Sometimes what I found out is early in the year it was hard. I just kept stopping and stopping and
0: stopping and stopping.
1: But as a year went on, you know, they'd start to learn and they'd get more into understanding and playing and you'd stop at less and have less to say. But I I was just one of those guys, I wanted them to understand and I was a corrector and I would stop. But as it went along, we got better and better and better and I had to do it less and less and less. So there's, there's probably a happy medium in there somewhere, but that's how I did it.
0: Yeah, absolutely on that. And I'm, and I, you know, I guess I've learned a little bit over my 30 years of coaching too. I'm actually to the point now, Mark, where I allow my captains or my players, my leaders on the team, to actually coach. I might say, hey, you know, uh, Destiny, hey, go talk to your team about you know um, getting more on the help side, and I'm allowing my players to coach themselves more. I don't know. I guess I'm yeah, changing are, I think too. I, think I that's guess
1: good because I think what that does it. That- we look at um, I know way more now as a coach, I wish I would have known as a player. And so what you're doing is allowing them to kind of see it from your perspective and be able to pass on. I think that knowledge is really good.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Coach, man, I really appreciate you jumping on here. I know uh, there's a lot going on in the country and so forth now, and I appreciate you sharing. I have a lot of coaches that listen and love hearing from legends like yourself. So, I really appreciate you joining us. Hey, give us one last piece of advice for a coach out there or um, for even, you know, a, a offer some advice for a player or a coach that is maybe just starting in the game now.
1: Well, I've always said the cornerstone for everything is hard work. So if, if the, the one thing you can't do if you're going to be really, really good is you can't get outworked. And I know that's uh, kind of trivial. It's cliche It's whatever. But my two boys are college baseball coaches right now, and I I tell them that all the time, is you can't get outworked. And that's where it
0: starts. You got to have that work ethic, right? I mean, you might be people that are going to be smarter than you, but nobody's going to outwork you. You can't
1: get outworked because if you do, you're already at a disadvantage. And I think that's, uh, again, the cornerstone of success is that, you got to have a work ethic and a real love for what you're doing or, you know, you're going to be mediocre at best.
0: Right. And that's and that's constantly learning. Right. So out working is not just on the court, man. You're constantly learning, going to clinics, yeah, things mean, like no, that. Right, I
1: think when I was off the floor, I was doing obviously that's a couple hours a day. I, I'm thinking it, watching film, uh, watching it used to be videos back in my day. Now it's other stuff but um you know, just watching, learning and continuing, I always tried to stay ahead of, uh, my goal was to be ahead of the opposition when I was coaching against them that whatever we were doing or trying uh, we were ahead of them uh, doing doing things better than they were doing and uh, that that just comes from hard work. There's you gotta love it, you just got to love it.
0: Yeah, it's so true. That's great advice. Coach, thank you so much for joining us, man. I appreciate it. You gave us all just a wealth of knowledge. Um, How could, if anybody wanted to contact you and seek you out, what's the best way to contact you? Do you have, are you on social media? Do you have a good email? I know I have yours, but what would would you like to provide us? Probably my
1: email. I don't do a lot of other social media so my email is fine. If, if you have it and want it out there, that's great. That doesn't bother me at all.
0: Absolutely. I'll share it on, on the website. Coach, thank you so much for joining us, man. It's always great to talk to you Oregon legends, man. It's it's unbelievable. I got to get Brad Smith, man, to get that. that um, yeah, get you the, definitely the you have to get
1: Brad Smith. That's, that's a once that's I have to. <laughs>
0: Okay. Coach, thank you so take much. Care, I appreciate wisdom. Really thank appreciate you so it. much. Bye. All right. Take care now.
2: Hey, coaches. This is Brad Hilligas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division One, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Rotato's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, and data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. If you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And, of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision Podcast to never stop learning.
0: Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision Podcast.